there's always a deeper reasoning to everything. Mm -hmm. And, but when we live in our head and we're so focused on Mm -hmm. being offended or what people should or should not be doing, we completely disconnect with ourselves and aren't able anymore to find the truth. I often say, you know, you guys are on loan from God. You're not mine. You're not mine. Create sacred boundaries. Find out what's going to make you feel better. Get the help you need from others. Mm -hmm. If they're an addict or whatever, those are the people that are going to be able to help you with the life skills you need. good company podcast it's actually the very first episode um since the transition this is my mother hello judy cochran (laughs) author jc cochran she has written two books i mean i could just go on and on about her credentials with her coaching business with everything I i really wanted to bring my mom on here because she's taught me basically everything that i know and i think it's important to talk about the mother daughter dynamic i find that we're often talking a lot about the our daddy issues and the father dynamic and the way that our the men in our life have played a role but i actually think we're not talking enough about the the literal woman who brought us onto this earth and the connection that's in that and the way that we have to be ready to and willing to see where our wounds may lie within that. So I think it's important. And we were talking before this started, the generational part, it's so important because it plays a role into everything that we do. So. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. And you just made me think of something too. Uh, When you said, I taught you everything, you know, it's just, that's not how I see it. You've (laughs) often heard me say, you are both the student and the teacher. And a lot of moms know this Mm -hmm. uh, because we get uh, tested, opened up, uh, expand, our hearts expand and we, we learn a lot from our kids. So. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm excited. Yeah. Part of way, the way that we're going to frame this is we want it to be raw. And I thought you were laughing. Like (laughs) (laughs) we want it to be raw and authentic, perhaps you know, I feel like we both felt a little anxiety even walking into the conversation because we know that it can be hard yeah. and I'm really uncomfortable. Like you're making me really uncomfy right now. Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, just God. It'll be okay. The hard conversations just <clears throat> drill me. Anyways, but it's important. And God, I just want to make something that maybe I would want to hear. And unfortunately, I was like, okay, I guess I'll just do it myself. So. <laughs> <laughs> Um, part of what I did was I reached out to my audience and by that, I mean my Instagram followers and I asked them, what would you say to your mom? Um, or ask your mom, like if you could ask her anything Yeah. and man, I got some serious stuff. Um, and we'll just go through a few of them, but we had a couple good questions and I think I want to start off with this because it'll ease us into all of the harder questions, yeah. but, um, yeah, I'm just going to begin actually. And what I want my mom to do is from her experience and just being a mother in general, we're all interconnected. We all have, once you're a mother, there's that connection to every single mother on the earth that they understand something that we just don't. And so what I want her to do is 
try and bring some sort of light into these disharmonious questions that people have said or asked of their mother. And I think you'll be able to shine a light and yeah. create some more compassion as well. The devil or the enemy is coming out my throat right now. Okay? <laughs> God bless you. Trying to get me to stop talking. Okay. Well, and I am kind of known for being the mom next door. Yeah, but not in the sexual sense because no, the the woman no, like the, the like the girl can, next door is like tell me everything, and yeah, and I'm not your mom, and then I can offer you feedback, and you're not my kid, so which we can talk about strange. as well though because like there were times where I felt like I couldn't talk to you. Oh, but my yeah. parent, but my all my friends talk to you. I know, and so they'd be like, "What are you talking about? Like you have a great mom. Yeah. You have this. Like go to her." And I'm like, "You don't get it." You don't, it's a different dynamic all Friday night, Saturday night. And you're like, let's go, let's go to the party. And they're like, why wouldn't you want to stay here? Yeah. Depression, <laughs> trauma, yeah. anxiety, those things yeah. play into that. I, I saw one that was actually really sweet. And, uh, she said, I know you were just a child who never got the chance to grow up and were figuring it out the best that you could. You changed me, but I see you now and I understand and love you. I just thought that was sweet. That is we get to a point where I think we realize our parents are just children. Yeah. <laughs> just kids growing other kids. Like what? You had Marcus at my age. Yeah. My old, I have two older brothers, Marcus and Clint. Marcus yeah. is the oldest. That's nuts. If yeah. I had to grow a Marcus right now, <laughs> he'd be so chunky <laughs> and cute. cute. Oh, he was darling. Marcus was the cutest baby. <laughs> we'll put a picture of him if I can find it up here. <laughs> But somebody said, why did it take you 19 years to change the way your negative energy and trauma affected others? Yeah. Why? Like, and I guess I'll reframe that. Why do, I think I know the answer, but why do parents wait? Why do they not they change? Need, they need time to heal just like any other human being. And it goes back to the first thing you just said, you know, where she starts to recognize that her, her parents our children too. I mean, they, they're going to evolve in a certain way mm -hmm. and, um, to honor their process. It's hard when you guys are growing up yeah. watching that, but it, it is mandatory mm -hmm. in that you start seeing your parents in that way. Mm -hmm. But, um, what do you think, how should a child deal with the fact that their parent is not willing, this is really, is not willing to change how do you like what do we do then in that circumstance especially if it's affecting us in a way that's cr like creating trauma for us now how do we maneuver that yeah well awareness of that something's off is your first step and then to seek either talk therapy or other holistic therapies mm -hmm. like somatic or something or yeah. something whatever the the dis-ease is going on with you, whether it's physical, mental, emotional, um, to go get help, uh, either with coaches or professionals mm -hmm. or whatever, and do, do your own work. Yeah. I think something it's that so hard for me to say that. Cause I know when, when it push comes to shove, it's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a whole other thing. Well, and I think there was another, um, person that reached out to me and they sent me um, a longer point of view on how their mom was an addict and um, stepped away, but also was more not unwilling to truly show up in the relationship anymore. And 
the girl said, I just feel like she does not give a fuck about me mm-hmm. at all anymore. And immediately when she said that, and I don't know, everybody's experience and situation is different, but immediately when I, when she said that to me, I was like, mm, it's not personal. Yeah. I think because it's our parent who is Naturally. going through it yeah. or maybe says the wrong thing to us or whatever. Yeah. We're still a child to them. Like I'm still your child. Yeah. Like there's still that wounded 10 year old self in me. Mm-hmm. And so if you were to step away and say, I don't give a shit about you anymore, it probably has nothing to do with me. Yeah. We live in such an environment right now where in height, I mean, I do this, but where everything is personal. Yeah. Everything it's, we don't see the projection that's happening. We don't see that people are also suffering in their own stuff. And Mm -hmm. then especially when we trust our parent to be there or at least be at a certain standard and they don't meet that requirement that we've created in our head, Mm -hmm. all of a sudden it's because we have not for whatever reason shown up to the table. Yeah. And then if we get this like burst of, Oh, I am good enough. I'm better than this. Like I had a mom that treated me like crap and like, I didn't deserve that. Then we kind of go into like the other side of the pendulum of even more ego Mm -hmm. where it's still about us. Yeah. It's like, you didn't see it. You didn't know me. You didn't know my love. You didn't know what I could have given you mom. Yeah. And it's, but it's, it's not, it was never about you. Yeah. And so maybe that's, maybe you can say to say something to this of like, if you are struggling with a parent, could there be a possibility, a realm to this relationship that you don't quite see because you're so focused on it being personal to you when it actually has nothing to do with you? Yeah. It doesn't make it any less painful. Right. And it's hard when you're in pain to not focus on mm-hmm. your personal feelings. Well, Tony Robbins always says, um, when you're suffering, it's because you're only focused on yourself. Yeah. And it's push and pull. Like, yeah you know, you got to feel your shit, but yeah, you do. Um, shoot. I was just going to say something. Oh, it'll that. come back. Yeah. What were we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, we're, this is a good podcast. <laughs> yeah. My train of thought. Well, I started thinking about how whatever, for whatever oh. we, Oh, go ahead. Don Miguel, the four agreements. Mm-hmm. I love oh, that book. Don, is it Don Miguel Ru- Ru- Ruiz, right? Ruiz, okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, or Ruiz or whatever, whatever. Um, sorry, Don. Deep bow to you, Don. Um, <laughs> Thank favorite. you for your service. Sorry. Go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> the four agreements. My favorite one is do not take things oh. personally. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Lots going on. Um, so don't take it personally. Now, easier said than done when you are young adult or teen and you're in pain uh, because of an external focus you have on parents that have kind of disappointed you, mm-hmm. you know, but you need to learn it anyway, not to but take how do you personally. So yeah. if you're going through something like this, this is your, you know, the student's ready then. And you have to start studying that. Yeah. And that book would be a great place to start. Yeah. And I think grieving it though, I think I don't want to dismiss the fact that even though it's not personal, it doesn't mean that there's not grief involved. Oh, well, that's probably one of the stages that has to come after. Yeah. That. Because once you start real, and I don't know how old you were when you looked us, looked at us and said, wow, they're flawed. Like five. 
Um, but it happens, <laughs> you know, and it should yeah. happen. That's very natural. You shouldn't even feel guilty about it. Yeah. You should not feel shamed about it. You should just know that that's the truth that we're all awesome. <laughs> Fuck. Hates. I hate that, that word. word. You know what? I was and reading. I love it. I was reading that Gabrielle book yeah. and she talks about she the word did. flossom. Oh my God. And I was like, you know, what's funny. I'm probably going to talk about them podcast today <laughs> because I hate that word. And I want to apologize for roasting you, but I hate it. Uh, it's I know. I, I love it. It feels like it's Go on Gabby. a t-shirt from TJ Maxx from 1972. Hmm. Yeah. Which it could vintage. Be. It could be. Um, you know, but it's it's a process that everyone has to go through. They have to eventually take their love goggles off their head, look at their parents with more truth and go, okay, they're flawed. And there are some things about them that will never change. Is there flaws that you have that you want me to not see within myself? Like, are, Do you feel like there are any flaws that you have that you've given to me that you wish... I would see that they're just yours and I, you could, cause I'll give them to you. If you know what they are, I'll just, I would like to take those back. So well, what this are they? Something I wanted to talk about because you are the student and the teacher for me. Uh -huh. You're a mirror. And so I get to look at you and go, Oh my God, those are some of the things that I have done. Right. Mm -hmm. I can see unfold in your life and in your character. And, mm -hmm. and then there's other things that I look at you and go, Oh, I wish I would have done more on that. Like what? Nervous system stuff. Just for sure. I always tried to push you. You know, I, I sent you to Karen Callen's yoga summer mm -hmm. <laughs> program, but I had to force you, but you loved it once at the end. Yeah. You love it. You I operate like crying, that. Remember? Because I liked it. Yeah. You, you had I do a remember it. Yeah. on the last day and you got in the front seat and you said, I've never felt like this in my life. And you cried and I go, what happened? You go, I'm so happy. And I'm uh -huh. like, but I wish I had pushed more of that mm -hmm. because you would have had better tools mm -hmm. and better discernment. I think in your middle school years, even with French girlfriends and yeah. just, you know, I just was like, I wish I would have done more of that. I thought I was. I think we had a bigger focus, obviously, like when I was 14 and stuff, people that don't know, like when I, I started shifting a lot then, I mean, of course I'm 14, yeah. but my mental <laughs> changed. I was much more depressed. I was even drinking alcohol at that point. And I'd also started going to doctors, holistic doctors yeah. for thyroid adrenals. And they all told me over and over and over again, something's wrong with you. Something's wrong with you. And looking back now with different, with a different lens, I think it was my nervous system. Yeah. I was really dis dysregulated. I was living in a state of chronic stress and it was actually the only times I ever felt relief is when somebody gave me an answer that I was going to be okay. Yeah. And it's like, it makes much more sense now looking back where I needed to relax. Mm -hmm. I didn't need more and more and more, more supplements, more this, more that, more stress on what I was eating, more stress on what it looked like, more I think I needed. But it's so easy to say that now, but looking back, like we were very oriented on how do we fix this? Yeah. And control it. It was hard to see when you're in it that there's a deeper yeah. 
chronic stress. It was an emotional thing. And it was almost like I was going through so much that to, to have had labeled it, that it was my nervous system would have probably felt discouraging. Yeah. Cause it's like, Oh, it's what? don't worry. It's just you and you need to breathe. <laughs> yeah. Remember when we went to that lady who ended up being on the Kardashians? Oh, what was yeah, her name? Tesh Paul. Yeah. Tesh yeah. Paul. I can't believe I went to her. Yeah. That's crazy. But she told that. me she, huh? I forced You did that. force it. And she was, she's a very nice lady. Very weird. We went to her house. Yeah. She pulled me into a room. She was a Barbara Brennan graduate. And, um, I sat on this table and she like waved her hands over me. It was actually a very nice experience, except then she told me, she told me that my problem was that I didn't breathe correctly. And I thought this lady right now, (laughs) she told you when we walked out, she's like, she needs to breathe. I'm like, I, she breathes up here. I was like, I I do. I do this day. You breathe up here. I do do to this day. So anyways, I don't know how we got into that. Essentially just the nervous system. And yeah, I mean, I, you were kind of a mirror. And so when I see oh, yeah. things go south for you, uh, I either blame your dad or I blame myself. Me too. Sorry, dad. <laughs> uh, because I mean, there's just things that we do that we, you know, we operate in certain ways because of where we came from. Mm-hmm. And I tried to do my best. And, and I, I had a good mom who was in the psychology world back in the day. And she was like, look, Um, I'm not perfect. So don't, you know, you're going to have to do your work too. get therapy and get over your dad and I, and whatever traumas you have, but I can hear her saying that you should get over that. Yeah. She was (laughs) just get over it. Stern about it. I love her, by the way. Yeah. But in a loving way. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. She always made me want to pull my bootstraps back up again and get on with it. But she always encouraged me to do my own work, mm-hmm. you know, and I, and in the social work and psychology world, they're like, you know, you can't blame your parents forever. Mm-mm. And if you are having trouble, you have to start roll your sleeves up and start doing the work. Mm-hmm. And that means reading and studying and, and talking to other people in the world that know about this stuff. Yeah. Which is what you do. Yeah. You've dove in deep. Yeah. That part I like. I love that you, you know, people will say, oh, do you think your daughter will read this? I'm like, are you kidding? If she sees this on my bookshelf, it will disappear. Like, <laughs> she will read it, you know? Yeah. So I love that about you. Yeah. I remember when I was little, I would open like books on your bed, like your big books. And yeah. I would pretend like I was in college studying. Do you remember that? Oh, Yeah. I loved that. I loved the idea of learning. And it's so weird because when I was little and I went to, um, I was in second grade and I had the speech impediment. Yeah. They put me in a class with a bunch of kids that slow learners Well, truly like disabled. Yeah. Like, like, and there's, I love them. They're amazing. Paul, Carly Frino, yeah. all of them. Like I genuinely, it's crazy. I even remember all their names, but as a second grader stepping into leaving social studies to go into that classroom, it made me think I was incapable of truly being a learner. Yeah. Like really grasping <clears throat> concepts. Yeah. To this day, it's something that I struggle with, 
you know, when I start to, when I don't know something fully, there's a lot more shame involved in that. Mm-hmm. I used to always be the person that was like, there are stupid questions. Like, don't raise your hand. There are stupid <laughs> questions. When teachers would be like, there are no, I'm like, there are. And I've heard people say them and I will not raise my hand and be the one that asks them. And now even in my business, my, the company I work for today, I'm sitting in boardrooms, like raise your hand, like essentially not really raise my hand, but ask the question. And usually it'll be a dumb question. And after I'll ask, I'll be like, dang it. Like I knew that. Why did I ask that? But I'm trying to like relearn how yeah, you're programmed to, yeah, we're all programmed, we get programmed. and we got to un, undo the programming for sure. But there's, was, there was something yeah. that I was, Oh, about that. And that's what I'm leading into the programming of all of it. I always saw myself as somebody that wanted to learn. I want to learn. But when there's so much shame involved in learning, of course, I'm going to step away. Of course, I'm going to be the class clown. Of course, I'm not going to be able to retain information because I'm constantly thinking about what my classmates are thinking of me versus me sitting in this room and actually taking in the information. And so for years that, that became a part of my identity. And also like, we don't realize what these little things in our childhood experience are playing as a role in our adult life. Mm -hmm. And so until my last year of college, did I really think I was capable of learning? It was also that I didn't love to learn the things that I was learning. Yeah. Like this stuff I love learning about. I'm obsessed with it, but everything else, not so much. So anyways, it just, that was also a role in my identity Mm -hmm. growing up that I had to shift. Yeah. And in hindsight, I wish I would have paid closer attention to that. Yeah. Why didn't you? (laughs) I don't know. I thought it was going to help you. Uh Uh-huh. And I knew how your speech impediment was bothering you in the real world. And just so everyone knows, I was thinking about this too. I had learned my speech impediment, right? Like how does a speech impediment get created? Or you don't learn how to say a certain thing. I saw a quote that was like, never make fun of somebody that mispronounces a word because it means that they learned it by reading and they used it for the first time when they were speaking out loud. Mm, interesting. And so Rose, you know that one of my best friends, Rose, she <clears throat> oh, taught yeah. me in second so grade. She, we went on a f- trip together. We're sitting in her basement in Colorado and she's sitting across the bed from me saying, we're going to teach you how to say your R's. I must've maybe voiced. I hated the class that I had to go to. Like, who knows? She's like, great, let's learn this. She's an engineer now, by the way. (laughs) And, um, she figured out why, like how my brain was working and told me to say, uh, R cause I couldn't say R alone. She said, say, uh, R and we sat there and we were like, uh, R, uh, R and like over and over and over. And we just like, we're screaming. (laughs) We're like, I can say it. Uh And ever since then I've been able, I've, so I learned it. And so it's, it's this weird dynamic of like, I was told that I I was being placed somewhere where I was being confirmed and validated that I couldn't learn when the whole point was that I needed to learn how to say that word, that letter. Just interesting how that, how that plays out. That is. And I also think you guys had a lot going on (laughs) and you were very, you were visible, Mm -hmm. but I wonder how much truly you were even able to give you know, cause you all, you were giving to everything that you could. Yeah. But when there's so much, and I guess I could say this too. My mom wrote a book, 11 days, 35 million to food stamps. And we talk about how we lost everything when we were, when I was four. And, um, it was this, 
it wasn't just like a year that we struggled. It was years. Mm-hmm. Um, but she goes on a trip, essentially a, well, a work thing. Well, you're staying, you're, it was just a house sitting. Yeah. Okay. That's what I want to say. Santa Barbara. And she's gone for 11 days mm-hmm. and, um, she comes back and we have revelations, but with that, it just is the story behind every single year. It was kind of like the same. It was hard. Mm-hmm. We were in and out of jobs. We moved houses 11 times. It was just super stressful. We also lived in like the richest part of where we lived and I was shopping at twice as nice, which is like today I'm like, cool, it's no big deal. But for whatever reason back then it felt very shameful. Yeah. Mostly because you guys, I think felt shameful and I didn't know how to connect. I didn't know how Mm -hmm. to really, if you guys felt a certain way about it, and I, ho- and I think in the beginning we were okay with it, but as it kept dredging on, we're like, yeah. are you kidding? We have to call the coach and ask them if we can get a discount on the fee to play baseball for Clint or whatever. And yeah. It just got exhausting and embarrassing. And I'm like, we're humbled enough. I, I can be humbled, but no, and I'm not saying that, like but exhausted. yeah, I think it's like, and that leads into the chronic stress of like Mm -hmm. something that keeps happening over and over and over again, where now I don't anymore feel like there's safety because one month we're okay. And then one month we're not, that's really hard for me to feel like, and at that point I was like, and I can't learn, I can't do anything for my parents. I can't learn. Yeah. And slowly I felt like I was switched schools, you know? So yeah. Uprooting and yeah. <clears throat> yeah. It's a mess. Mm-hmm. The, the whole tagline is 35 billion of food stamps. What a family gains after losing the American dream. Oh yeah. So I wrote that. Eventually you wrote it. I forgot. And, uh, <laughs> it was, uh, there were lots of gains, but it, it took a long time yeah. to really see those unfold. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. So what else? <laughs> Is there anything else on that? Yeah, I'm sure. Let me see. <laughs> this person asked, when was the first time you noticed your need for codependency? I, and I want to say this because aren't we all codependent? Yeah. Like, I don't know. I think codependency gets a really bad rap. And I think, of course, you don't want to be like so codependent that you can't survive on yourself. But... I also think like if you're a child, like of course you're supposed to be yeah codependent. And although you were a little weird, I yeah. I, Let's talk about that. Well, I actually thought that I was doing something wrong as a mother because um, I had the two boys and they adored me and they wanted to go to the stores with me and go to parks with me and do things and hang out with me. But then I had Nicole and, um, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I got my girl, you know, like we're going to go and do things. And she was so incredibly independent that I was like, what, what? She doesn't even like, like me. Like Mm -hmm. I'd sit on the floor, lay on my stomach, play Barbies and dolls and stuff. And you were like, yeah, it's fine if you stay here or not, whatever. (laughs) Like, What? Um, but I also secretly absolutely loved and treasured it because I wasn't like that. Mm-hmm. I was kind of needy, mm-hmm. you know, you're a Gemini. I'm a Pisces. I was like, where's my mom? Where's my mom? Mm-hmm. Um, so I knew you were going to grow into 
uh, this young adult and adult someday that was, I was always going to be in awe and admire. Mm -hmm. And I think it actually is one of your superpowers. And Mm -hmm. I think it's, I think it's what saved your life. Maybe. Um, or almost took it because no, because yeah, I think it saved your life because you were able to see your role and your responsibility Mm -hmm. in this is my choice. Yeah. And I'm going to make a different one in this moment. Mm -hmm. And, you know, independent people can do that with more ease than. Yeah. I think something I've been unraveling though, even in therapy is my independence in times has been on the shadow side isolation. Oh, well, yeah, you can go both. And I think there's two sides. I think, you know, this is the thing about relationship dynamics is every, it's always different because you have a different relationship or different experiences that led you to me. And then I have different experiences. And then your mom has different experiences and your sister and all like all these dynamics play into how we show up in this dynamic. Yeah. And and I've never said this to you, but maybe like your mom was a little bit more cold. Mm -hmm. And so that could have created some sort of rejection that you felt Mm -hmm. from her. Yeah. And so you may have made it personal. It was about you. It was about you that your mom was more cold or whatever. And so when you came to me, was I really, I'm sure I was independent and I was very free spirited and stuff, but I think it's hard for me to take it on fully. Like it was like, it was me who was independent because I can't go back and say, Mm -hmm. that's how I was, you know, there might've been, we might've been sitting on the ground plane and I had wanted you to be there, but you were so afraid of another woman in your life rejecting you. Yeah. That maybe definitely. And I think vice versa. So, yeah. And it's funny because I would choose girlfriends and boyfriends that were kind of like that. And I always felt like it was like some feat I was trying to, a, a task I was trying to complete, like to get that person to connect. So, you know, the anxious and <clears throat> avoidant yeah. attachment styles. So the anxious attachment style and the avoidant attachment style dynamic is that the anxious is very clingy. Yeah. But on the shadow side, they're actually very afraid of commitment. And then the avoidant is very like, oh, I'm not, I don't want to commit to you, like stay away from me, whatever. But on the shadow side, they're actually deeply afraid of being abandoned. And so avoidance go to anxious people because they know they'll never leave me. And anxious people go to avoidant people because they know the avoidant people will never come close enough to be so intimate with them. Interesting. And so they create this dynamic and they, they're talking on the surface of you're clingy, you're too you're mm-hmm. too far away, whatever. But on this deeper level, we're actually more so afraid of what we think we're not afraid of, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah. And, um, I think that, I think that we have a secure attachment. Yeah. And I think that it's one of, I'm, I have times, of course, we're always going to lean into different ones. Mm-hmm. I think there are times where I felt afraid to be abandoned by you. And so I was avoidant. Mm-hmm. And then there were times where I was afraid um, to be too close to you or whatever. And so I'd actually lean in or whatever. Mm-hmm. 
when you were avoidant, I guess is what. Yeah. And I realized that I, I do self-isolate, but I came out of a meditation last week actually and realized I was alone all the time. I was the baby of my yeah. family and you're, and they left and they were, they were older. Gone. Yeah. They were all older and they were gone. And I have had this story my whole life. I had the best life. I was alone all the time. I had the house to myself. I would play house and act like the adult clean cook, mm-hmm. all kinds of things, have friends over. And I was like seven, mm-hmm. eight, nine, ten. And then all through like my, you know, middle school years, I would have parties mm-hmm. and, Um, I thought that was great, but then I realized, uh, I was so lonely. Mm -hmm. I didn't think of it until like last week. Interesting. And then I do this 11 days to self-isolate. Yeah. You know, it just was interesting. I think I learned that from you is like the craving of being alone to go and heal. But I actually have found... There are, sometimes I have a lot more healing when I'm willing to be witnessed. And it's funny. So I was going to go on that trip and my plan was no speaking for 11 days and no people. Like I was going <laughs> to isolate myself yeah. and do this monk thing. Yeah. And then I got there and kept meeting like angels on earth. And I'm like, uh Oh no, yeah. I'm going to have to be witnessed. I'm going to have, there's mirrors up on all these people. Like yeah. I'm learning something with each individual And that was, that was key. So I wasn't allowed to self-isolate the way I really wanted to do it. Yeah. And it would have been unhealthy and unnecessary. Yeah. Yeah. I needed to meet the people and get asked the questions and find the profound solutions I was looking for. Yeah. And sometimes that's not found in your parents. (laughs) It's usually not. Yeah. It's usually the mom next door or your teacher or a professor or your best friend or... Yeah, or therapist. Or your lover that just dumped you or... I mean, you, we learned so many other ways. Yeah. And I, you know, have often told kids, because I was doing a lot of hypnotherapy back in Tucson with a lot of kids that were like anorexic and mm-hmm. athletes, that gymnasts that, mm-hmm. you know, wanted to get better or whatever, but... If they were not getting along with their kids, I mean, their parents, I would say, you know, they're just people. Mm -hmm. So create sacred boundaries, find out what's going to make you feel better. Get the help you need from others. Mm -hmm. If they're an addict or whatever, those aren't the people that are going to be able to help you with the life skills you need probably at this time. Yeah. So, well, and that's the thing too, is like if a parent's wounded, There's guidance that they can give you, but they're just going to be operating from a wounded place. And so all of their information is going to be from a wounded place. Yeah. You don't. And then you're going to build resentment. Mm -hmm. And I think there are times where I resented you and dad, but you gave me the best advice that you could in that moment. And also double-edged sword of like, had I made a choice by myself, I could have said, well, where were you? Like, why weren't you making the decision with me? Yeah. So it's like, there is that role and responsibility that, Unfortunately, when you get older, like, oh, like I have to take initiative for everything that I could possibly take, you know, responsibility for everything I could take at 14 years old and then everything else. Mm -hmm. It's like, you have to give it up to God because it's like, I can't, I can't control it. I can't do anything about it. Mm -hmm. You know, if anything, I have to nurture who I was at 14 versus like be so upset. Yeah. 
that I didn't. And that's something I wanted to say. I, you know, we just talked about this the other day, how you have to mother yourself. You have to learn how to nurture and mother yourself. And you know how I have this thing that I gave to a client the other day. And I was like, I want you to write down, how can I be more kind to myself today? Mm -hmm. Just once a day do this Mm -hmm. because she was just not willing, you know, to be kind. And it was a mother thing. Mm -hmm. And she's literally reinventing herself by mothering herself. Yeah. And she's 40. Um, I took my girls through on the course. We had like a mother moment, like a a class. that was just on motherhood or like the mother wound. I should say motherhood too. Mm. Um, and one of the letters that they did was they write a letter to their mom, like basic. And then they write a letter from their mom, like as their mom back Mm. to them. Yeah. And it was all about how like, we're all aligned on some level and we're all connected on some level. And especially if we came from our mother, like we can pretty much understand if we truly ask ourselves, like, what's the truth? Yeah. We can understand where our, our mom is coming from. We can say, oh, like, and, and the letter will often be like, of course, I am sorry for that. I, I knew it right when it happened. Mm-hmm. I had this experience that created this or like even going into a meditation and um, looking at your mom as like they are 12 years old yeah and you're also 12 or whatever good exercise and being able to walk through that and it just brings the reality of it where like you grew up with your own experiences that Mm -hmm. created what my experience was as well yeah and the the gift about generational trauma is that there's also ancestors and people that had tons of wisdom mm-hmm. that has now been brought down as well. Like it's not just trauma, yeah. like just have the garbage we have. Yeah. We like, I have pieces of Nana. I have pieces yeah. of grandma Eileen. Like I have pieces of all the way up there, good and bad mm-hmm. that I can now take from. And I can also take the, the pieces from them that they never uncovered themselves. Yeah. And, the, and so like, we're constantly involving. I can't wait till I have kids, you know, mm-hmm. or I don't know. I can wait, but <laughs> Cause I'll probably do damage to them as well. It's just, Oh yeah. You're definitely going to do damage. <laughs> cool. Can't wait. It's just <laughs> How much of it do you want to work on before you do it? You know? So the other thing is, is that when we are externally focused on another and I know they're your parents and maybe there's problems, but when we get so incredibly focused on external people in our world, we, we tend to, lose ourselves even more. And so when I work with people or even when it's been in our family, I've always been like, begin within, go within, get grounded, Mm -hmm. get in a, a, a safe, stable place where you can start evaluating external people, parents, um, where you're seeking greater understanding of them because mm-hmm. the minute you have awareness and understanding of where they really came from, who they really are, mm-hmm. and you can accept it, you're, you're free, mm-hmm. but it's hard when you're fighting with them and yeah, disappointed in them and you're living with them or whatever. Yeah. Very hard when you're living with them. Yeah. I've had a lot of, um, girls that I've coached and, 
their first thing they say is like, I live with my parents. And even if it's like the most stable home, there's, there's two sides to it. It's like, if it's not a stable home or if there's tension or if there's unresolved things, you're constantly going to be faced with it. And that might be debilitating. Like it might make it too hard to actually heal when you're in it, mm-hmm. Like you need to step out Yeah. and don't worry about the money. Like I, I do believe that it will come. I do believe that when you do the right thing for yourself, this, those things will align. Will it be easy? No. But then there's also the double-edged sword of like stepping into like the house with people that even if they are stable, you're resorting back to yourself at before 18. And Gary V talks a lot about, I think is why I lived with you guys again is he talked a lot about how go live with your parents, save up, do this, do that. Like I live with my parents as long as I could until I felt settled. And it's like, that goes for maybe like 10% of the people. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like if you've been coddled or even like in a chronic stress environment your whole life, you have to, you don't know yourself outside of that house. Yeah. And so you need to leave. Mm -hmm. You have to, I think it's truly like number one leave. Yeah. Even if it's perfect and stable and they pay for everything and it's whatever you have to step out because there's no healing that's it's safe. It's a false safety, which Mm -hmm. is truly just fear based. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's an interesting thing because it happens with my siblings too. Families kind of think they know who you are. Yeah. You can't be who you truly are. You're who. Yeah. And I, I'm all for growth and expansion. So I'm like, I don't want you to be 12 year old, Nicole. I want you to be 26 year old, you know? Mm -hmm. So I have often with your siblings said when you've gone away and come back, I'm like, let her be who simmer. And yeah, let her just be who she is. Don't put any parameters on her. Don't yeah. you have belief systems because mm-hmm. of past memories and yeah occurrences. Lose it all. Yeah. Like you're meeting her for the first time almost. Yeah. Because we can, as family members, hold people back where they right where they were. Yeah. I think that's that's a good point to talk about is you know, if you feel like you're not changing, you're not leveling up, you're not or leveling up is a poor choice words, but I guess going into your higher next higher self, mm-hmm. or <clears throat> if you feel like you're stuck in a state of oldness and darkness and whatever, like I do believe that your environment is important. I think that you can transcend it and you can still evolve into who you want to be in a tough environment, but I think mm-hmm. it's a hundred times harder. Yeah. And I think sometimes the healing is actually done in the choice of choosing yourself and being willing yeah. to leave. And here's the other thing. If you can't leave for some reason, <clears throat> I don't want you to feel like you're stuck. Yeah. Cause what you could do is go to the family members, have yeah, a family maybe. meeting and just say, Hey, time out. But not everybody can even have family meetings. Well, you know, you have to find your voice sometimes, even if it's not, normally allowed to be present in a family. Mm -hmm. But if you're really struggling, I would suggest that you go and sit down maybe one by one with them, not in a team so they can all team up on you. But, um, I would say, this is what I need from you. I realize I, you have beliefs about me, but I've been growing and Mm -hmm. learning and that is not who I am anymore. And I need you to like take the reins off of me or off my neck. Yeah. And I think if they, they might, the point is they may not understand that. 
They might, but they might not under like if they're cookie cutter one way to come in and say, I no longer am this person and you have to somehow honor that that's going to go against their ego and what they've, their identity because everything's a projection. And so my point to that is yes, do that, but also go and get around people that can support your new identity over and over and over again. I actually have found that like, even when I start a new job, I'm stepping into it and like, it's my new identity. Mm -hmm. I work with this awesome guy and he said to me the other day, he goes, I don't see you as a very competitive person. And I was like, I just started laughing. I was like, what identity have I created? Like, I'm very sweet and gentle and like not super like serious. And uh, it's just hysterical to me because I was like, you know what? Let's go. Like we're talking about playing volleyball. And I was like, all right, let's go. Let's go play some volleyball. I'm going to kick your ass. All dressed up. Yeah. I knew that I was competitive because it pissed me off. And I was like, I am competitive. <laughs> no, I, I mean, whatever I can be like, if I want to be, but it's a fun thing. You can't recreate yourself yeah. anywhere new. He was like, what do you like? Like, do you just like turn into a different person on the court? And I was like, let me, let me look up some old film. <laughs> <laughs> but I liked it. I sat with it and I was like, yeah. Oh, I kind of, you know, I don't need like, yeah, that's not me right now in this season. Yeah. I'm not trying to be the biggest, baddest, whatever of all. So, but anyways, I just think, I don't know where we're going with that, but I just thought that was Well, it's what I loved about the 11 days. Cause here I was in Tucson in a fishbowl. Everybody knew we went from 35 million to food stamps. I mean, we looked (laughs) pretty ragged in the places we lived. Oh my God. But what's interesting is I could go to Santa Barbara, Mm -hmm. fancy Santa Barbara. I mean, that's. Oprah lives in Montecito right outside of there. And I could just be who, no one cared who I was. They didn't care that I was on food stamps. They didn't know. And then when they did know, they still didn't care. I don't think. I was like. But at the same time, I don't think people cared where we were. I think. We were fun to talk about because it was in the paper and stuff. But. Yeah. You know, it was just, you know, rumor gossipy kinds of stuff. But. Any judgment that I feel today. Like when I went through my recently, I've gone through a season of questioning, like questioning my faith, questioning my friendships, my relationships, not in a bad way, in a negative way, but questioning of like, I need to go to a deeper layer because Mm -hmm. none of this, it's all feels shallow. Like, I feel like I'm on the surface. Yeah. And I've realized, is it true? Kind of questions. yeah, Yeah. I've realized like my judge, like I was judging people because they were judging me, but they weren't really judging me. I was just offended by what I thought that they believed. Yeah. And so I was living in offense and I'm not saying, I'm not saying that there weren't things that there's not things that aren't real. I think I'm intuitive. I think I can trust when people are for me or not. I think I know more when they're saying things and they're not. Yeah. I, I think recently or before when I was in that season of questioning, I was very heightened. So I thought people were saying things that they weren't. But my point to that is, like I was taking it personal. Yeah. It's like, it's about me. It's about me. It's about me. Mm-hmm. So you're not, even if people were judging us for not having money, it was just a projection of, they truly believed that the only reason they were worthy was because they had any. Right. So it's this dynamic of like, I don't, I, 
I don't care. Yeah. I can't care yeah. because it has, it's not, it has nothing to do with me. Yeah. I, sure. I just think I, to this day, like, I think I grew in that insecurity a little bit of like thinking people were saying things to me or about me that weren't. And then it was focused on people saying things and whether they were saying things or they weren't, who gives a shit? Yeah. Yeah. But that made me insecure where I was like, wait, people care how much money I make. People care what I look like. People care what I wear. Mm -hmm. That's what dimmed my light was the desire or the expectation I held of myself of being perfect on the outside. Mm -hmm. Cause you're flossom. <laughs> yeah, I am <laughs> flossom one day. Yeah. One day that'll sit right. <laughs> Not today. It'll land right. One day it'll be what I wanted to hear. I did want to talk about, um, the rejection thing. I think rejection, I think on the deepest layer of any parental or maybe any relationship, dare I say, by the way, I'm not, I'm, I don't know. <laughs> it's just what I think. <laughs> this is what I think today. Maybe you resonate, maybe you don't, I don't care. But I believe that right now on the deepest level of most relationship dynamics, especially parents, there is this like deep, deep layer of rejection that both feel. And so the, the, like, I want to be loved or I'm not loved enough. So it's either the rejection of self. And so we reject them or rejection of the fear of their rejection. And we don't think that re rejection is a pillar of possibility in these relationships because <clears throat> we were, we're blood where you brought me into this world. I think we bypass it. We don't think that that's the deepest thing. And then we create these circumstances and these narratives about, well, they're an addict or they don't show up for me or it was about them or they don't treat me right. They don't say the right things. When if I dismissed all of that and I asked myself, what's really going on? It would be rejection. It'd be this fear of, oh, they think I'm rejecting them right now. Or they're afraid of me rejecting them. How can I step closer to this? How can I lean in? Or they're, or if they are rejecting me, I can say, oh, it's actually not about me. They're afraid of me rejecting them. And so like understanding that it has everything to do with you and nothing to do with you. And I've, I realized this, you know, recently, not recently, but when I had my, you know, dark night of the soul and I was on the bridge. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's something I talk openly about, but essentially, you know, one thing after another happened, it was a perfect storm truly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, um, that's for a whole other podcast, but true, like, hor like bad realizations came with the, my last relationship. And then everything was stolen from my car. I had no money. COVID was happening. It had just started. Um, I lost my job. Like there was literally like 10 things that had Stuck happened. Stuck living at home. I was living at home. I was overweight because I'd been carrying so much grief and trauma that I didn't know how to process. And I'd mm -hmm. gotten overweight after being very, very fit. So that was grief involved. And I just like, I hated, I hated myself in that moment. And I brought myself to the bridge dad found me. We came back to the house and we all got into a huge fight. <laughs> I started it, but we got into a huge fight and, um, 
looking back, I was probably just had a really dysregulated nervous system. And so like anything that you guys said was that wasn't the right thing was going to throw me and it did. And, um, we ended up calming down. But the, one of the things that I remember that you said to me that was really like impactful for me was you said, I've just been so afraid of you rejecting me your whole life. And I thought valid, that makes sense. But I, but then I said, but in your fear of me rejecting you, I felt, I felt my whole life, like you've been rejecting me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The rejection, the, the illusion of being rejected by your mother is painful because that bleeds into everything. Am I worthy as a woman? Like, how do I stand around these other girls? Do I trust these other women? Mm -hmm. So I reject everyone. You know, I had like close knit girlfriends that I loved Mm -hmm. once they proved their loyalty to me, Mm -hmm. but everybody else, I was like, no, no, no. Like, yeah, I don't trust. I trusted men more, which is hilarious. Yeah. But no one's right or wrong in it. I think what it just shows is like, that was the deeper thing. Yeah. If you want to go down layers, that's, that's where you go. Yeah. Cause like, I didn't feel like it was on the surface of my stuff was stolen. This was stolen. Oh yeah. That like, was all the, the, little the relationship, the co- like baby all fires. The, yeah. But the one, it was the umbrella and the, or the tree. <laughs> and then the roots were, I, that was not the first time I ever felt rejected by you. Mm-hmm. And that's, what's hard about conversations like this is I know that you never meant to, I know that you were never actually rejecting me. Yeah. I just assumed it was that way. Cause there was no real conversation mm-hmm. or communication as much as I think, you know, there was, and it wouldn't have mattered probably what I said. It's how you feel. Yeah. That's what moves us. And so if you felt rejection, that's like, that's in the, that's a punch in the gut. That's a headache. That's a my throat hurts. I can't speak. I have no voice. It's just, mm-hmm. it, it'll come in all different ways, but it's interesting. Cause we just moved out of that house and I was going through it for the last time. And that fight was in the bedroom mm-hmm. and there's a huge, huge crack. Cause you slammed the door mm-hmm. behind us mm-hmm. and you broke like this molding. That's like this thick. Mm-hmm. And I was going to caulk it and fix it. And I went, no, I'm just going to honor it that you're just still here. Mm-hmm. But, um, this is what I mean when I say student and teacher, you know, I can't see everything. So sometimes the, the child's role is to shine the light so that the whole family can heal. And so for anybody that is feeling like they don't have a voice and they can't do that, I'm here to tell you that you can. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause there's nothing harder than hearing from your child that they want to leave the planet. You know, I often say, you know, you guys are on loan from God. You're not mine. You're not mine. And so I don't want to fail him and fail you. 
I'm in, I'm all in, you know? But uh, I think rejection right now is kind of the way of the world. It's sad how many kids are leaving, mm -hmm. either through addiction or just flat out, just jumping off the bridge. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, we have to be more aware and in tune with ourselves as parents, and then we can be more intuitive and insightful when we're looking at our kids that mm -hmm. are suffering. But if we're not, uh, if we're not cleaning up our energy and aware, being aware and using our intuition, uh, there's surprises and they're painful, mm -hmm. but so I apologize for my role. And uh, I actually take 100% responsibility because I, I just do. Mm -hmm. It's like the Ho'oponopono, mm -hmm. you know? That's how we heal. Well, yeah. I forgive you. Thank you. <laughs> anyway <laughs> the end <laughs> um, I think you know something when I was writing during that time and I think I shared it with you guys and you were like okay crazy but <laughs> I wouldn't have said that I think, you know, I said, and I thought it was like poetic or something, but I said, you know, I feel like I'm screaming in my head for help, but it just whispers to other people. Mm -hmm. And little things I said, like little things I had <clears throat> mentioned and we miss them because they're little, you know, they're not so obvious. I think, you know, a lot of like suicides are, they happen in a, it's like a 10 second decision. They weren't thinking about it. And then all of a sudden it's like, they go and they make the decision. And, um, there's like some statistic about it, like mm -hmm. a real one. And, um, this is a whole other conversation, but I think my role and responsibility is speaking about it more if I need to, and then setting things in place like therapy or coaching mm -hmm. or antidepressant or whatever mm -hmm. it is, everybody's situation is different, but really getting that support is super important. Um, and I think too, we often talk about like the mental health stigma, like there's a stigma. And I think there's like a stigma, like I'm not going to go to work and say like, Hey, I had a mental breakdown. Like mm -hmm. I can't come into work Instead, I'll say something else, but sorry, work. <laughs> <laughs> How much time have you taken yeah. off? <laughs> not a lot. No, not really, really not. But, um, so there's, I guess the stigma there, but it's like, it's personal. Like I probably could be like, Hey, I'm sure I wish I, I actually, I wish I had the balls to be like, I am super struggling with my depression. I cannot dare go 
work for you today. Like what, <laughs> like the amount of things, like if you knew what was happening inside my head right now, <laughs> you would say, go into an insane asylum. Like you don't need to come into work. But I think what I, what I'm saying with that is like, I put the stigma on myself. It's like, we talk so much about the stigma in society that I'm like, Oh, well, is there a stigma? Like, are people judging me? The world keeps saying there's a stigma and people judge it. It's like, I don't really think if I'm sitting to a stranger and I tell them that I'm struggling with depression, they're going to be like, well, that's not real. Like, or they're not going to have any sort of support. And if they don't, like, they're probably a crazy person. So I think like, I realize I placed the stigma on me. Yeah. I carried that. I said, oh, I'm not like, nobody really feels that way. Yeah. And I think we need to stop talking there's about there being support a support. Sp- yeah. There's a lot of support. A lot of love and support. And that. it can be hard sometimes to find the right support, but it doesn't mean that it doesn't yeah. exist. Right. It's usually the voices in our head that get us. It's no. our own belief systems. It's not somebody else's that crushes us. Yeah. It's, if they say something and it resonates, it means you have that belief system and that's, that's the part of you that needs to change and yeah. shift that. Well, that's remember like in high school when people would call me fat. Yeah. So rude. And they, when they called me a bitch, I was like, like, I'm not, I was oh. like, I know my heart. Yeah. Like I truly was like, I, I know that I'm not, yeah. I know. I know that I'm not ever going to be like, no, you weren't intentionally mean. Like definitely I was feisty and I'll fight you. (laughs) I won't, but only if you throw the first punch. Yeah. But if like, I knew myself, I knew that part of me. I was like, I know that I mean, well, even if I do all the wrong things, I know that my intentions, I try. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't shake me. But when people call me fat, that shook. That's what I'm saying is like, Sometimes when people say things like even in this political world right now Mm -hmm. where it's Roe v. Wade or not, or, and that's a whole other thing, but like COVID vaccines, whatever, like I think, and maybe that's not even a good one. Christianity, um, not believing in Christianity believing in certain things, not believing in them left or right. When it hurts us so bad, we have to have discernment over, is it hurting me so bad because I'm so passionate and living in so much truth with an alignment with who I know that I am to be, and I don't want anybody to come against that? Or is it because they're saying something that is actually triggering a part of me, triggering a part of me that I might believe and I'm so afraid to face? Mm -hmm. That is where the real work is like people talk about doing the work. I'm like, the work is not like, Oh, I'm going to scribble in my journal. The work is like, where am I completely and absolutely wrong about everything that I've been telling myself? Yeah. Like the shadow side of like, even with like an example being my weight or anything that I want, you know, a business, a whatever it may be. And I, I've wanted it for so long and it, and I'm doing all the right things. It's like, there's some sort of resistance that's happening. That's keeping me from actually achieving it because there's something on the other side of having it. That's more scary than not having it at all. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of us, when we carry weight for me, at least like I would carry weight more weight on my body when I was more afraid of being seen protection. Yeah. And so I've always been told I'm a light and people see me and like, I'm, I stand out. 
That's terrifying to me when I'm ashamed because that light doesn't go away, Mm -hmm. but it gets dimmer when I'm unconventionally pretty, i.e. like game or weight or whatever it may be. So people, not, not as many people look at me, not as many people talk to me, not as many people hold the door open for me, not as people, not as many, you know, random creepy guys will cat call me when I'm running down the street. <laughs> like certain people won't ask me for my number. It's very annoying. Like if those things happen, it's very annoying and weird. If you feel like when you got into the world, there are people that are going to want to take something from you. So of course we go into protection. Of Mm -hmm. course we gain weight. Of course we, so yes, I want everything in my life. I want to be perfectly skinny and to be perfect, but that perfection comes with a a really scary consequence of being deeply seen. And now I've been telling myself my whole life, well, once I'm skinny, I'm going to do all those things. Now there's a lot of pressure because when I am skinny, I have to start my business and speak on stage and be seen and talk about my trauma and like do all these things. And so yeah. anyways, that's you put a lot of, yeah, there's, so it just, pressure on it. I, I guess I just want to harp on the fact that there's also, there's always a deeper reasoning to mm-hmm. everything. And, but when we live in our head and we're so focused on mm-hmm. being offended or what people should or should not be doing, we completely disconnect with ourselves and aren't able anymore to find yeah. the truth. Yeah. Like the real truth. Yeah. Yeah, because if we let the hive mind, I call it in hypnotherapy, go mm-hmm. and do its thing, it all bets are off. I mean, it's going to be a hairy day, um, <laughs> unless you've cleaned a up, hairy day, <laughs> unless you've a hurried hairy day. It's a terrible day, but unless you clean up your thoughts or just even first become aware of them, most people don't even know what they believe. Mm-hmm. They see a guy down the street, he's white, he's black, he's Hispanic. They have a belief system. Yeah. They don't. And there's subliminal subconscious thoughts that go through. You know, so you got to you got to look at that person and go, "What is my belief right now? Mm-hmm. And why do I have this? And when did I get this? Yeah. And is it clean or is it, you know, something that I need to shift out of my consciousness?" Yeah. But it's just being aligned to your higher self, source, God, universe, whatever you're going to call it. That's the cleanest place for you to be. That's where all the answers and solutions come from. It'll never be from looking at people, places, or things outside of us. Mm -hmm. Those can upset us and then teach us what we need to work on, but they are, they are not supposed to be the focus. We are here. Heard it a thousand times. We're spiritual beings first having a human experience second and we get so wrapped up in the human part of it. Mm -hmm. And we worry about how we look on the external, the money we have to make, the cars we have to drive, the people we want to love or not love anymore. I mean, it is really exhausting, but Mm -hmm. not when you're aligned. Yeah. But easier said than done. I'm not aligned 100% of the time, as you know. Is anybody? No, nobody is. Yeah. You're not Jesus. No. And he was great. We love him. Good guy. Yeah, I like him. (laughs) I like like him. (laughs) Okay, well, let's just do one more question. Shall we pull a tarot card? No. God. God, but not not God. (laughs) Um, Rose asked a good question. Am I what you envisioned in a daughter? Oh, 
No. <laughs> so much more. So much more. I would tell all new moms and moms that want to be a mom, have a loose grip because the looser your grip, the more room they have to be who they are supposed to be, not who you want them to be. They're not supposed to be mini me's. I can't stand when parents do trophy kids, Mm -hmm. but loose grip as much as possible. Keep them, keep them safe. But you're so much more. And so is Rose. Yes. (laughs) Her mom would agree. I mean, we had our ideas of what you guys were going to grow up to be, and you Mm -hmm. have already far surpassed it. The Mm -hmm. one thing we pushed, Ava and I, that we really wanted... Rose's mom. That you would never lose your friendship. Mm -hmm. That you would just maintain that for the rest of your life, because we knew as older women that that was going to be gold. Yeah. And we were right about that, but... Well, and we actually didn't even know, because... Rose and I didn't know that we were both moving to Dallas. Yeah. I mean, so it's just, God's plan. But it's synchro destiny. Synchro destiny. That's a good word. Deepak's new book. Synchro destiny. Got to read it. Hmm. I sent it to you yesterday. I didn't see that. Okay. Well, anything else you want to say? <laughs> I love you. And there's not a damn thing you can do about it. <laughs> I love you too. <laughs> Blossom. Yeah. <laughs> so blossom. <laughs> all right. It worked. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we did this. We might do a part yeah. two. We kind of went all over the place, but I think. Yeah. Maybe there can be some edits. <laughs> <laughs> no edits. Oh. But I think next time, awesome. if we need to have something specific that we talk, we talked a lot of broad things. Yeah. So if there's something more specific that we need to talk on. Yeah. We can do that. And then if somebody gets inspired to give us some questions. Yeah. That watches this podcast. Yeah. Put it in the YouTube thing. In the comments. Comments. Yes. Hello. Hello. Goodbye. (laughs) Okay. Bye. Say goodbye to all my friends. Goodbye. Oh, wait, real fast. What? So I wish we would have put this in the beginning, but most of the audience that's on my YouTube are people that have looked at our TikTok videos that is like so far, like only humor. (laughs) So you may know us from that, but um, no, no, we've got other sides. I know the real shit. Yeah. Yeah. Nice to meet (laughs) y'all. All right. We're good. Beep, beep.